If you were with us last week, we know we ended the sermon with kind of a cliffhanger and said, hey, if you want to find out how this works, come back next week. And so today is part two of a message from 2 Corinthians chapter 3. If you want to turn there this morning, titled, A Better Way to Live. And so last week we talked about what can you expect if you pursue this spirit-filled life that Paul is teaching about here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. So if you weren't with us last week and like, hey, I wasn't here, so I don't know what part one is. Let me give you the cliff notes really quick. Paul's writing to the church at Corinth here in chapter 3, and he's trying to correct a false teaching and some false teachers known as super apostles. They had uh, introduced this type of teaching that, that somehow through this rules-based uh, righteousness you could attain, they were basically preaching something very similar uh, to the old covenant under the law under Moses. And so Paul says, no, 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 there's a better way to live. Not, not by do's and don'ts or following the law, there's this spirit-filled life that's offered in Jesus Christ. And so he's teaching about that. He says there's freedom uh, from the law. And so the law was over 600 uh, external commands. And it governed the covenant life of Israel through the civil law, the ceremonial law, and then the moral laws of God. And when they couldn't obey these laws, because no one could, they would offer up sacrifices as kind of a show of repentance uh, towards God. And all of those sacrifices were pointing to Jesus, uh, who was himself offered up a sacrifice. The Bible says once and for all, it was totally sufficient. And upon doing that, Jesus ushers in a new covenant, not governed by rules and religion, but governed by grace and the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And so we looked at that in verses 7 through 11 last week, and here's what we learned. This, this is a fascinating thought. He says, when you pursue this, he says, you have access to the glory of God in a way that Moses himself did not. The, the glory that Moses experienced was limited or veiled, and it faded over time. And he says, in this new covenant, you could experience and radiate the glory of God in an eternal and unfading way. The glory of God is simply a theological term describing the beauty that emanates from God's character. And so, while that is possible in potential, you have to appropriate all the Spirit offers us in this life called the Spirit-filled life. So the potential's there, but the promise isn't realized until you and I pursue this Spirit-filled life by pursuing intimacy with Jesus uh, through the spiritual disciplines. We also learned that uh, cross-referencing from Galatians chapter 5, that the key to battling sin is not trying hard to not sin. The key to battling sin, Galatians chapter 5 verse 16 says, is that if you walk in the Spirit or pursue this Spirit-filled, Spirit-controlled life, then, cause and effect, you will not satisfy the desires of the flesh. And so, Galatians chapter 5 reminds us that. So, just some incredible truths last week. To think that I can live in such a way that I don't have to fight sin in my own willpower is encouraging. To think that I can experience and display the glory of God in a way that Moses himself could not is incredibly exciting and encouraging as well. But to quote the great prophet Shamwow, but wait, there's more. There's more to this spirit-filled life to those who will pursue it. And so that's what we want to look at today in verses 12 through 18. So look with me there this morning. He says, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. 
but their minds were hardened. For this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so this morning, I want to, in part two, I want to look at two promises that are available to followers of Christ in this Spirit-filled life. So two promises for spirit filled Christians. The first one is simply this, the Spirit will make us bold. Now, let me make two things very clear. Number one, boldness is not a personality trait. It's not a personality trait. It's actually the overflow of the Spirit-filled life. So number one, you may just say, hey, I'm, I'm kind of a, a timid person. I'm kind of a, that's not really my personality. Listen, he's not describing a personality trait as a person who's forward or bold or speaks their mind or those kinds of things. He says, no, no, that life in the Spirit, living the Spirit-filled life will produce in you a supernatural boldness for the gospel regardless of what your personality is. So number one, it is not, boldness is not a personality trait. But number two, this is important, boldness is not a synonym for rudeness. Did you know that? <laughs> As a matter of fact, Rudeness is the evidence that you're not living the Spirit-filled life. If you're living the Spirit-filled life, then the overflow of your life will be the fruit, singular, of the Spirit, according to Galatians chapter 5. And listen to some of the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit and contrast that to rudeness. The Spirit uh, produces kindness, gentleness, self-control, meekness, which is controlled strength. And so I, I've just met... Too many Christians, and I'm just going to be honest, it's totally my opinion, I think it's getting worse over the last few years, that somehow uh, rudeness is something they're proud of as if it's some mark of spiritual maturity. And they just take taken the term boldness to lay over top what we just call a jerk. Amen? Listen, write this down. This is really deep. There should be no jerks for Jesus. Did you know that? As a matter of fact, the Bible says uh, that when people say, I, I, just, I just say whatever I think, what they're saying is, it's more important me to get my point across. I don't care how it lands. I don't care how it receives it. I love being heard more than I love the, the hearer that I'm speaking to. Listen to what the Bible says. Uh, the Bible says that my word should be seasoned with grace. My, the Bible says I should esteem others more than myself. And we just finished up a series of the book of James. And the book of James says that the person with an unbridled or uncontrolled or unhinged tongue is a person who, in fact, is not bold. They're spiritually immature. And so Paul's not promoting the boldness uh, in those ways. He's saying, hey, there is a boldness that will mark your life as the overflow of pursuing this spirit controlled or spirit-filled life. And here's the deal. It is available to us in the new covenant. It was not possible for those in the old covenant. Yet another feature or an upgrade to the new covenant in the spirit-filled life. Uh, John Piper, to 
describes this boldness better than I can, so I'm just, I'm just going to quote him this morning and give him credit. Here's what he says. He says, one result of this new agreement, so it's a new covenant, between God and those who come to him through faith in Christ, Paul writes, is boldness. The old covenant by design caused men and women to become deeply aware of their own sinfulness and inability to do what was right before God. The result was a lack of confidence before God. The new covenant, though, removes the need for people to trust in their own ability to do right. Believers are not bold because we're confident in ourselves. He says a Christian places all his or her confidence in Jesus' right choices and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because we come to God in Christ who is perfect and sinless, we do not need to veil our faces before him. Listen to this. We have the hope that we're in good standing and at peace with God right now. And here's the clincher. The word hope, as used here, does not mean wish. It means confidence that God will keep his promises. And one of the promises that God offers us in this spiritual life, he says, hey, if you're a person who wishes, you would speak up a little more clearly, a little more unhindered, a little more unveiled for Jesus Christ and the gospel of Christ in a culture set against Christ. He said, then you don't have to become a person who's rude or abrasive. You've got to pursue this spirit-filled life and the spirit will produce boldness is what verse 12 says. That's how this works. I'm not proud of this. But every time the movie Over the Top comes on with Sylvester Stallone, I'm locked in. Amen? If you've never seen it, it is a deep and rich plot about an arm wrestling truck driver. But but one of the reasons I love the movie is because uh, every arm wrestler goes through this routine uh, to psych themselves up before they go into an arm wrestling match. And they have this alter ego before they go to the arm wrestling match table. One guy drinks motor oil and then eats a lit cigar. It's beautiful. I get emotional thinking about it. I saw Tasha do the same thing one time. I'm sorry to share that. I just... Sylvester Stallone, whose Christian name is Rocky, amen, right? Uh, He turns his hat backwards and he said it's like flipping a switch on and then it's on, right? Uh, there's a, another guy on there, uh, he, <laughs> he would uh, uh, smack himself or have others smack him uh, in the face and just all these ridiculous like alter egos before they would go in this. And so here's why I'm bringing it up. Here's my fear. My fear is when we think about spiritual boldness and being willing to speak up unhindered about the truth of the gospel, uh, we aren't that much different. That somehow we got to get all emotionally worked up or have some type of mystical, spiritual experience where we can put on this alter ego of holy boldness. But Paul says, hey, that's not how this works. Boldness is not the goal. It is the overflow of the Spirit-filled life is what verse 12 is saying. So to wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. You ever think about that? You get in a situation where you think, I need to speak up clearly for Jesus. I need to share the gospel with this person. I need to speak into this conversation because someone's not representing the truth of the gospel well. And what you're waiting for is somehow you could muster up the courage and somehow the Holy Spirit would come upon you and you get really bold. Listen, if you're waiting for that, that's old covenant theology. 
that somehow the Spirit of God would come upon me or baptize me for some type of works of service. And Paul says, no. He says in the new covenant, it's so much better because the Spirit of God is living inside of you. And if you will pursue this Spirit-filled life, then the natural overflow, means you don't have to work it up, will be holy boldness. And so let's make this as plain as possible. If you want to be a person who gently, kindly, lovingly but boldly speaks about Jesus, focus on pursuing the Spirit-filled life day by day instead of waiting for the Spirit of God to empower you because that is a promise from the new covenant. And can I just tell you this? We are in a cultural moment or season right now that we need more bold Christians, not more rude Christians, more lovingly bold Christians. What what one of my favorite authors uh, says, we need more people living with convictional kindness. And that happens as a promise of the Spirit-filled life, speaking up boldly for Jesus without fear of man, without trying to make the truth of the Scripture uh, more palatable or more marketable. We're just living unashamed, unashamed that we would talk about Jesus with the same lack of reservation that you talk about the weather or the reds or anything in between, not because you're so bold, because the Spirit of God has made you bold in Him. Not because we're sufficient, but because Christ is sufficient. What Paul says in verse 5, in his book, and this book is decades old now, The Key to Triumphant Living, uh, the late pastor and author Jack Taylor wrote the following principles concerning the Spirit-filled life in the New Covenant. Here's what he says. He said, here's three principles about the Spirit-filled life. He said, the Spirit is resident in us as believers. That's the foundational truth. If you don't understand that, you'll never understand the Spirit-filled life and the potential in the New Covenant. He said, secondly, the Spirit wants to be released through us, living out the life of Christ. And the third thing is, though, the Spirit must be reigning over us in order for Him to be released through us. And so He talks about surrender and submission, lordship, and the Spirit-filled life. And so here's the good news, all right? It doesn't matter what your personality is, that this boldness that, that Paul's teaching about and describing here, it's available to you. It's available regardless of your personality. And you don't have to wait for you know, God to come upon you and empower you. It's available to you because the Spirit of God resides in you, but you've got to live this Spirit-filled life that's available in the new covenant. And it's so much better than what they had. So much better. And if you're thinking like, I don't know, Going up on the mountain and having uh, intercession with God like, like Moses did, that'd be pretty cool, right? And we think it just happened that one time or maybe two times. Listen, if you read the end of the chapter in Exodus chapter 19, depending on how you count, Moses is recorded there going up to Mount Sinai and, and encountering the presence of God six or seven times, depending on how you count through that list. And you got to think, hey, that'd be pretty cool, right? Like to go up there, you come down, and you're, you know, you're, your face is going, and you're wearing a mask, not because of COVID, because glory, God's on your face, right? It'd be pretty cool, but Paul takes a little shot at Moses. Look at verses 12 and 13. Look what he says in 12 and 13. Since we have such a hope that the Spirit of God lives in us in the new covenant, okay? That's what he's describing. Since we have such hope, we're very bold. (laughs) And listen to this, verse 13. Now, remember, he's preaching to people who understood the law, and Moses is a legend. Look what he says in verse 13. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face, 
So that, here's why Moses' face was veiled when he came down the mountain, all right? So that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. Now, if you read the book of Exodus as well, Exodus chapter 34, what you realize is one of the reasons uh, Moses' face was veiled is because when he came down with the Shekinah glory of God radiating off of his face, the Bible says in Exodus 34 that it scared his brother Aaron and all those other people. Because they didn't know how to respond, like that they were afraid of God, they had limited access to God. And so here Moses comes down, literally radiating the glory of God. And they said, Hey, that, that's too powerful. And so Moses would veil his face. That's one reason. But the second reason he would veil his face, uh, did you catch that? Go back to verse 13. Look at this. He says, He put a veil over his face so that. Here's why. The other reason, here's why. So that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. What he's saying is this. He said Moses would go up to the mountaintop of God, he would experience the presence of God. Literally his face would radiate the Shekinah glory of God, but that glory was limited because it was external and it was temporary. And so Paul says, he says, hey, that glory that you see, uh, it was being brought to an end. And compared to the glory that we can experience and radiate in the new covenant, it is eternal and it never ends. You can experience and radiate the glory of God in a way that Moses himself did not. And Moses would wear a veil on his face so that, verse 13 says, so that they wouldn't realize, hey, as great as this is and as powerful as this is, this is temporary. And it's coming to an end is what it says in verse 3. It's like a sunburn. Tosh and I are going to Florida for a few days uh, here coming up in a couple of weeks. And so I've been going to the tanning bed a little bit. Tosh just said, hey, tan fat looks better than white fat. Get yourself to the tanning bed, right? And the first time I got in there, listen, I'm an, I'm an efficiency person. The first time I went to the team after years and years, right? The lady said, uh, how long do you want to go? And she, I, she said, do you want the 30-minute bed or the 15-minute bed? Listen, what man says the 30-minute bed, amen? I said, I want the 15-minute bed. She said, how long do you want to go? I said, the full 15 minutes. Like, she's trying to rip me off. After about seven minutes out of there, like all the sweat I'd had in my body start was gone, and I came out of there on fire, I pulled open that tanning bed. I looked at the timer, and I had been in there three minutes. <laughs> three minutes. Fried. But I got my money's worth, praise God, right? Not cheating me. <laughs> Listen, when you're in the presence of the sun, or maybe a fake and bake, right? That's what it, right? You experience the sun's presence, or it's, uh, in a sunburn, but when you stay out of the sun, what happens? That burn begins to fade when you're no longer in its presence. He said, that's like Moses. And he says, what's available to you will never fade. It is a glory that even Moses himself could not experience because they did not have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit that you have in the new covenant. And if you'll live in that and tap into that, then what'll be the overflow of your life will be an unveiled, unhindered boldness to speak clearly about Jesus Christ and the gospel. And here's the good news, and that boldness should never fade. 
Never fade in the new covenant. It's a term that means frankness or boldness. It's straight up honesty. It's clarity unhindered. It is not veiled. And Moses, uh, that, that faltered for him. But Paul said, hey, I, I need to experience that. Because Paul's speaking to people who only knew about the law. And so basically what Paul was saying is, I mean, listen, let me put this into context. Could you imagine me saying, hey, we've got a guest speaker today. And they walk out and they say, I just want to share something with you. Everything you've been taught about God and access to God is wrong. That's what Paul was doing. He saw all this external righteousness that you're trying to hold up in the law that you can't even do and you know that you can't do it. It's wrong. And so uh, Paul needed that kind of boldness for those who only understood the law or a rules-based righteousness. Now, why was Paul so bold? Because here's what else Paul knew, that preaching that, that legalistic, performance-based, rules-based righteousness, it actually doesn't uh, help people transform. It actually hardens their hearts against the gospel of grace. You say, why would you say that? Because that's what the text says. Look at verse 14. He says in verse 14, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, performance-based spirituality, that same veil remains uh, unlifted because only through Christ it is taken away. The word hardened in the Greek, it literally means calloused. And so what that means is this, is that when someone is preaching some legalistic, moralistic, gospelist, old covenant type of uh, living, uh, basically it hardens people's hearts against the message of grace. And, and when that happens, that they can't fathom the freedom that is found. Matter of fact, when you preach about that freedom, those who've been hardened by legalism, their hearts have been calloused against the new covenant gospel of grace. Matter of fact, what they'll say is when you're preaching freedom is you're preaching compromise. You're, you're uh, encouraging people to, to, for cheap grace or to abuse the grace of God. But the reality is verse 17 says there's freedom in the new covenant. And preaching a performance-based faith only condemns hearts because it cannot make a heart alive. You're literally preaching a message that people cannot obey. Let me read to you Ezekiel chapter 36 about the transition between the Old Covenant and New Covenant. Ezekiel 36, 26 says this, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, in the New Covenant, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. What's he saying there? He's saying this New Covenant before, without the Spirit of God inside of you, in the old covenant, you had a heart of stone. But he says in the new covenant, I'm going to give you a heart that is able to be molded and shaped and transformed so that, with the Spirit's help, you can live for God's glory. And it's a glory that should never fade. Now, if you're listening, say amen. Here's what this means. This is good news, all right? Here's, here's good news. That means there's hope for you and I. That means that all those things about your life that, you know, don't honor God, all those promises where you said, God, I will never do that again. 
But yet you're like the Old Testament says, you're like a dog returning to your vomit. God, I want to change this. I've turned over a new leaf a hundred times. What he's saying is, hey, if you'll tap into this spirit-filled life, then in the new covenant, you've got a heart that's able to be molded and shaped and empowered so that you can obey without gritting your teeth in your own willpower. And because of that, your potential, listen to this, your potential to become like Jesus is as unlimited as Jesus in you in the person and work of the Spirit in the new covenant, praise God. And that confidence gives us boldness to speak up instead of being timid for Jesus. It's that same boldness, Christ in us, that gives us uh, confidence in our prayer lives as well. Hebrews chapter four, verse 16. Now remember, in the old covenant, that they, they couldn't look at God's presence. There was a veil of separation, not only on Moses' face, but in the temple, the place, the access of God, that they were afraid of God's presence. And if you just ran into the, the holy of holies, that didn't end well. They carried you out feet, feet first. But because of this new covenant, Hebrews 4.16 says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Some translations actually say, let us boldly approach the throne of grace. And so if I could lean into you this morning and force you to believe something that you may not believe and force you to live in such a way that you may not love, here's what I would encourage you with this morning. Don't just be content to know that one day when you die, you're going to heaven and think you've got all this that the Spirit offers you. Don't be be content to say, well, I I don't know between now and then, but listen, one day, praise God, I'll be in heaven. Praise God for that. But between now and then, lay hold of this Spirit-filled life and all the promises and the potential and the glory that's offered to you in the Spirit-filled life. If I polled everyone in the room and said, are you as bold about speaking up about the gospels you should be? Are you as bold in your prayer life as you should be? Almost everyone would be filled with twinges of guilt, me included. But when you understand what Paul is teaching, you can replace guilt, listen to this, you can replace guilt with hopeful expectation. Your past spiritual performance doesn't have to limit your future spiritual potential when you understand and lay hold of the spirit-filled life available in the new covenant of grace, praise God. You have access to God in a way that Moses himself did not if you're a Christian in the new covenant. Now, here's the good news. All that was free. I'm just getting started this morning, amen? How excited are you? Not as much. (laughs) Here's the second truth. We'll hustle, right? The second truth So number one, the Spirit will produce boldness. Number two, the Spirit will produce freedom and change. Look at verses 16 through 18. It says, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil's removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Some translations say there's liberty. In verse 18, we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. One writer summarized the truth in these verses as follows. He says, not only do we have the power to be bold, 
We have the power to be what we're commanded to be in Christ. In verse 16, he tells us the veil of limited glory is removed when we turn to the Lord. In other words, he said pursuing Jesus, not performing well, is what opens up access to God. And then once that potential is realized, we're offered two things, is what he says here in this passage, two promises. Uh, Number one is in verse 17. Number two is in verse 18. So Paul says, hey, in this spirit-filled life of the new covenant, if you'll live in that and pursue that, then two things will happen. Number one, you'll experience spiritual freedom, verse 17. And number two, you'll be transformed, verse 18. If you'll turn away from legalistic, performance-based Christianity, if you'll repent of that, to turn away from that, from sin and self-righteousness, and embrace this spirit-filled life, your life should be, could be, marked by freedom in Christ and the power to change, verses 17 and 18. Now, if you ask non-Christians today, you said, hey, pick two adjectives to describe Christians you've encountered, would the terms freedom and power to change make the top 10? Would it make the top 100? As a matter of fact, if you said no, the exact opposite might be true, lack of freedom and unwilling or unable to change. And I think the reason because of, is because of this. So few Christians lay hold of this spirit-filled life, and instead they just fall into and settle into a limited, legalistic, rules-based, performance kind of Christianity. And in that, there's no freedom, there's bondage, and there's no power to change, there's death, is what Paul says. And verse 14 already tells us when that message is preached of legalism, it hardens hearts against the true gospel and so what we should be demonstrating, declaring, is that, hey, I'm in Christ, and I'm experiencing spiritual freedom, and there's real power for real change. But the reality is simply this. You can't declare that if your life doesn't demonstrate that. We call that hypocrisy. And so when we think about our lives, would you ever describe your spiritual life as experiencing vibrant freedom in Jesus Christ? Would you describe your spiritual life as the power and potential to experience unlimited change because of Christ in you? Now, when we hear that word freedom, let's just be honest as Baptists, makes us a little nervous, right? I had a lady tell me one time years ago, if you, you, you keep talking about that, people are going to live like the devil. But I want you to listen closely. The freedom offered in the spirit-filled life is not the right to do as we please. It's the power to do as we should. That's a good place for an amen. You missed it, so let me repeat that, all right? The freedom offered in the spirit-filled life is not the right to do as we please, but the power to do as we should. The Bible says that life apart from Christ is slavery to sin. You can't break free from sin's hold on you. And as you tap into that power, your potential to grow and change becomes only limited by your willingness to live the spirit-filled life. You say, where do you find that out? Look at verse 18. What does he say in verse 18? And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. Now, this verse, 
<laughs> I started seeing this during the pandemic. People are quoting that verse about why we shouldn't have to you know, do this or do that, that kind of thing. Can we disagree that's out of context? Can we disagree with that this morning? No matter how you feel about all that stuff, that's out of context. What he's describing is not health measures. What he's describing is your access to God. Okay? And so what does he say? With unveiled face, because of the new covenant, beholding the glory of the Lord, listen to this, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. What's he saying? He's saying if you're not experiencing growth and change in your spiritual life, then that's a key red flag Light on the dash warning that you, in fact, are not pursuing the Spirit-filled life. But if you will pursue the Spirit-filled life, then you can be changed from one glory to another. Your life just keeps growing and radiating and experiencing the glory of God is what he says. This is the doctrine known as progressive sanctification. Let me quote from one pastor uh, in this. We're out of time, so I've got a couple quotes. I'll just read uh, one here. He says, 1 Corinthians 13 is the Richest statement in all the Bible, how believers grow. This is uh, author Dane Ortland. He said, this is known as a doctrine of progressive sanctification. Paul says that we all, as opposed to just Moses, experiencing God's glory, with unveiled face, in contrast to Moses' veiled face, are beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. He says the Greek word for transformed here is used just one other time in the New Testament. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, where once more a gradual process of change is in view. Paul teaches that we're changed namely by beholding the Lord, not by sheer willpower. What's he saying? He's saying if you'll get a hold of this and live this, then you'll grow and change and become and experience more the glory of Jesus Christ. And it will be unlimited unless, in fact, you limit the Spirit's work in your life. Is it just me or is that good news? You see, the gospel's not just about forgiving my sins in the past and getting me to heaven in the future. I'm grateful for all of that. But in the meantime, when I pursue Christ in this spirit-filled life, he says you can experience this gradual, ongoing process of being transformed to look more and more like Jesus Christ. Not because of your willpower, but because you've accessed the glory of God in this spirit-filled life. There's hope for us. There's real hope for real change in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is how it works. This is how it works. And this is not some second work of grace. This is simply waking up to what we already have in the new covenant. Jesus came and ushered in a new and better covenant. In doing so, he really offers a better way to live called the spirit-filled life. And we can pursue that spirit-filled life with confidence, Because Christ, through his life and death, has opened up access to the unfading glory of God. In this spirit-filled life, there's holy boldness, there's freedom in Christ, and there's real hope for real change. But if you want to lay hold of all of that that's being offered to us, you first have to lay hold of Jesus. And here's the good news this morning, because of grace, everybody who runs to Jesus makes it. Would you bow your heads this morning?
with your head bowed this morning, I want to ask you the most important question anyone ever asked you in your life. Have you laid hold of Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Have you come to the place where you realize that compared to the life of Jesus, the only thing you can do is confess yourself as a sinner compared to Jesus? And you realize that sin has separated you from God, but Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross, was buried and rose the third day so that you could have access to God, so that you could receive the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. Have you done that yet in your life? Have you prayed and received the forgiveness of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you been born again? Have you been saved? And if the answer is no or I'm not sure, then listen, right where you're at, right in your seat this morning, you can pray, you can confess your sins, you can declare a desire to turn from those sins and self-righteousness, and by faith today, you can receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Would you do that today if you've never done that? Would you pray right now, and would you accept Christ as your Savior? For those of you who've been walking with the Lord for a long time, I want to ask you something. Are you really convinced this morning that there's a better way to live than some legalistic, performance-based spirituality? Are you tired of relying on your own willpower? Are you tired of trying to obey the do's and the don'ts with your own self-discipline. If that's you here today, you're experiencing very little freedom, very, very little change in your life, today, would you by faith say, Lord, from this moment forward, I'm not gonna live like an old covenant person. I'm tired of relying on my own willpower. I'm tired of being disciplined enough. Lord, today, by faith, I'm laying hold of the promises available to me in this spirit-filled life. Lord, today, with your help, Help me live this spirit-filled life today. And by faith, I thank you in advance that I'm going to experience real freedom in Christ and real power to change. God, help me to live by your glory and for your glory. And all that's possible because of Jesus. Father, we thank you this morning that Jesus Christ is the author and the finisher of our faith and everything in between. Praise his name. We pray all these things in his name because we can. Amen.